Today we'll be learning Masechet Betza, Daf Zayin. We are at the top of Daf Zayin, Amud Aleph. One, two, three, four, five, six lines from the top of the Amud where it says, Hahu, Hahu damar be'ed dechaleman. A person who asked, I want fertilized eggs. Be'ed dechaleman, who has fertilized eggs? Dechraze, rooster, so meaning eggs of a rooster. I want fertilized eggs. Yavulei be'ed safna me'ara. Instead, they gave the person, they sold him eggs that were unfertilized, literally that were absorbed from the ground, meaning that the chicken just rubs against the ground and produces the egg instead of being fertilized. So he didn't get what he asked for. So they came in front of Rabbi Ami and the person who received the eggs had a claim against the person who sold them the eggs that he didn't get what he asked for. And Rabbi Ami said that this is a mekachtaut, this is a false, a sale conducted under false pretenses because uh, what he asked for was not what he got and therefore he has to have his money returned. The question, of course, is, Pshita, that should be obvious, what would you think? That the only reason why he asked for uh, fertilized eggs was because he wanted tastier eggs, and apparently fertilized ones are, uh, are more uh, rich, are, are bigger, or, or uh, you know, better in some way, they're superior in some way for eating. Right, so the thing is, the mind of that you might have thought that since what he received was not what he asked for, definitely he's owed something. The question is, what is he owed? Is he owed a full refund? Well, no, because if he just wanted the eggs for eating, what's the difference between an egg that's a little bit larger and more, you know, fuller versus an egg that's a little bit less full? So you could give him some of his money back, not all of his money back, because he got something out of the deal. So the answer is no. He asked for something qualitatively different, a fertilized egg. He didn't get that, so he gets his entire refund. Now we're going back to what we discussed on the previous daf, which was, it said, We had this teaching that an egg is considered finished when it comes out of the mother, uh, of the chicken. And we saw that the previous discussion, was the previous uh, explanation for the significance of that teaching was that it's speaking of uh, again, monetary matters, that if somebody wants an egg that was actually laid, uh, there's a difference between that and an egg that was found inside a chicken, even if it's fully formed, right? So now we're saying, no, and therefore a person who wanted a, a chicken and a, a, an egg that was laid by a chicken and is given chi- eggs even that are fully formed that were found inside, in, inside a chicken uh, would have to get his entire money back. Now, another interpretation of what does it mean when the egg comes out, it's finished. What it means is that when the majority of the egg comes out, it's considered to have exited the chicken. That if an egg comes out of the chicken most of the way and then it gets sucked back into the chicken, it's considered to have been born before Yom Tov. If that happened on Erev Yom Tov. So now, even if it now comes out on Yom Tov, it was considered born before Yom Tov and the person could eat it on Yom Tov. Because the majority of it came out before Yom Tov. So in other words, that's according to the first interpretation, that's what the teaching of an egg is considered finished when it comes out is referring to. It's referring to when the majority of it comes out, it's considered finished. But you could actually read it the exact opposite way. What it actually means is that no, only when the egg completely comes out is it finished. In other words, you can read, read that teaching either as a support for Rabbi Yochanan because what it means is that when the majority of the egg comes out, that it's considered finished, or we could learn it the entire the opposite way. That it means when part of it comes out, 
when the, when the majority comes out, it's not enough. It has to be that the entirety came out for it to be finished. We go back to what we said before. If you slaughter a chicken and inside you find formed eggs, fully formed eggs, you can eat them with milk. It's not considered chicken, the eggs inside. They're considered parv. If the eggs were still connected to the sinews inside the chicken, then it's considered an extension of the chicken and they're considered meat. You would not be able to eat them with milk. Who is the author of the following teaching? We know that a bird that dies, a kosher species of bird that dies, and then you eat it, you can become tamay from eating the flesh of a kosher bird that died without slaughter. Touching it will not make you tamay, but consuming it will. Now, if you eat its flesh, you become tamay. But what happens if you eat mishalal shal If you eat from the eggs inside, mina atzamot, from the bones, mina gidin, from the sinews. Or you eat from flesh of that bird that became detached from it while it was still alive, not after it died. So then, Tahor, you do not become Tamei from any of those things. But from the, uh, literally what it means is from the cluster of eggs. We'll see what the difference is here. Or from the crop. Or from the inner inner organs. Or if you melted down its fat and you swallowed it, Tamei, in all of those cases, you would be considered Tamei because you're eating organs or parts of the chicken that are considered its flesh. Now, who is the one who said that if you eat from the eggs, the shalal should be tea, that you are, that you are not going to become Tamei? Amar Rabbi Yosef, like Rabbi Yaakov, obviously that's not Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov said that if the eggs are still attached to the chicken fully, um, and they're entwined with the uh, sinews, so then you would, uh, it would be considered part of the chicken. So obviously he's not the author of that teaching, because he would say that there are certain cases where the eggs are considered a part of the chicken. Amar how do you know? Says Maybe that's only with regard to meat and milk that Rabbi Yaakov said that. But when it comes to Tum'ah, he's more lenient. Maybe he'll say, why, why, if he's going to say that those eggs that are still attached to the chicken inside, because they're still attached to the sinews, therefore, um, we should say that the... Um, and that it's considered part of the chicken, maybe that's only for, maybe we should say that just like we're going to say that that's considered chicken with respect to eating with milk, we should also say the same with regard to tum'ah. Right? So it says, Afushei tum'ah, right? Bechite malinyan tum'ah nami nigzor, Afushei tum'ah, Afushei tum'ah, but the Rabbanan Mavshina. We never make rabbinic extensions of tum'ah, or I should say, we limit the amount that we extend because uh, we don't want things to become tamay and be ruined and so therefore we're not going to extend the tumah but it could be that those uh, eggs that are attached to the chicken are considered to be part of the chicken rabbinically at least with respect to the laws of basal maybe really this whole teaching went on the latter part of the bright where it said that from the cluster of the eggs if you from the cluster of the eggs you're going to be tamay no, that's obviously Rabbi Yaakov it must be talking about a case where the eggs are still embedded in the chicken sinews and therefore it's considered part of the chicken and that's why you become Tamei. You know, you're assuming that when it talks about the cluster of eggs, it's talking about the eggs themselves. But really, maybe it's just talking about the ovary of the animal, of the chicken. Maybe you'll say, why do I have to mention the ovary? Because just like the crop, which is part of the digestive tract, of the chicken, and the uh, 
the various internal organs, even though they're considered part of the body, since there are many people who don't eat those parts of the chicken because they think they're gross, it's therefore we have to be told that they are considered flesh. So it could be that the reason why we have to learn that the ovaries are considered tamez because most people don't eat them. Now obviously, there's a problem with the bright though, which is that if you if the first part of it was talking about eggs and the second part was talking about eggs, it's contradicting itself because the first part said that eggs don't make you uh, tamay and the second part says that they do make you tamay. So you have to come to the conclusion, really what the Gemara comes to the conclusion, which is that the first part is talking about the eggs themselves and there is no, uh, there is no status of tum'ah on those eggs, of flesh on those eggs with respect to tum'ah, but the latter part is talking about the ovary itself and that's why there could be a status of tum'ah on the ovary. But otherwise, you can't say that it's talking about the same case, obviously. It has to be talking about two different things. Any creature that has relations during the day, also gives birth during the day. Anything that uh, has relations during the day is bo- uh, during the night is born during the night, meaning that the uh, that the process of reproduction, both stages, uh, both the uh, the relations and the birth happen at night. And any creature that has relations night or day could be born night or day. Who, which creature has relations during the day and gives birth during the day? A chicken. Who has relations during the night and gives birth during the night? That's a bad. Um, one who has relations whether day or night, that's a human being and anything similar to a human being. What's the halachic significance of telling me that any creature that has relations during the day gives birth during the day? What's the halachic significance of that? It's like Rav Mori said in the name of Rav Kahana. If a person went and checked the chicken coop before Yom Tov, there was no egg in there. The next morning he walks in and there's an egg in there. So he's going to assume it was born on Yom Tov, but muteret. He doesn't have to assume that. Why? Because he has to. Because since he checked first thing in the morning, and chickens only give birth during the daytime, we're saying so. Therefore, that egg could not have been laid during the nighttime. So I, it must have been laid actually before Yom Tov started, and he just didn't see it. But he checked He obviously didn't do a good job. And even if he did check really well, maybe what happened was the egg came most of the way out of the chicken and then went back in and then dropped out again on Yom Tov. Uh, right? That's what it was. Like Rabbi Yochanan said before, that if an egg is mostly born, even if it goes back into the chicken, it's considered to have been born on the day that most of it exited the chicken's body. So that would be the, the significance of that, that chickens only lay eggs during the day is therefore that the uh, is therefore that a, a chicken's egg that's found in the coop the next morning, if it's first thing in the morning that you look and it's there, it must have been from the previous day. Didn't Rabbi Yossi Ben Shaul say in the name of Rav, it says here, um, the side says that it should say Rabbi, okay, uh, that if you check the chicken coop and you, on Erev Yom Tov and you don't see any egg there, and the next day you see an egg in there, you have to assume it's prohibited that it was born the night of Yom Tov. That's talking about unfertilized egg. An unfertilized egg could be born even at nighttime because we said that the relations and the, and the, and the uh, emergence of the egg happened at the same time, but there was no relations because there was no the insemination here uh, or fertilization here. 
So therefore, what will we assume? If we find it and we know that it was born at night, obviously it was talking about an unfertilized egg. If it's a fertilized egg, it will only be born during the day. So what about the first case of Rav Mori where he comes in the morning and he sees an egg there uh, and he's allowed to assume that it was born the previous day. Why did he say he could assume that? Why don't we just say it was unfertilized and really was born during the night of Yom Tov? It says, no, because Bahada. We're talking about where there was a rooster around. Just because there's a male around doesn't mean that every egg is fertilized. Anytime there's a male around, the, the chicken will not stimulate itself on the ground in order to bring out the egg. It will wait for fertilization. And therefore, if there is a male around, we assume that the egg was fertilized. And we also assume that it was born during the daytime. Okay, Amaravan, uh, and, and then we said Vadkama, how far away would this male, would this rooster have to be? Uh, or how close would it have to be to count in the equation? Amarav Gamda Mishmedurav, Kolechad de Shama, Kola Bimama. As long as the chicken could hear the. Uh, uh, could hear this rooster during the daytime, meaning it's close enough that even during the daytime when there's other noise, you could hear it. One time Rav Marie relied on this, even though the the house with the rooster was 60 houses away. Um, still, he said, because there was a rooster there, we assume that all the eggs of this chicken are going to be fertilized and therefore will only be born during the day. If there's a River in between where the rooster is and the chicken, obviously, it's not going to pass. But if there's a bridge, it will pass. But it won't go on a rope bridge, just one rope that's extended over the river. It won't do that. Although it did happen one time that a rooster crossed over a rope bridge to get to a chicken, it wouldn't typically happen, so we don't rely on that. But what are we saying here? We're talking about an egg that was <clears throat> produced without fertilization, and that's why if you find it in the morning, you can assume it was born at night. Right, so the thing is that why do you have to mention that he checked an Erev Yom Tov? Even if he didn't check, he should assume it was born at night. Because if he didn't check at all, then he could, he could assume that it was born actually before Yom Tov. The only reason he's assuming it was born on Yom Tov at the night time is because he checked. So if that's true, then even if I did check, maybe, it's, maybe it came most of the way out on Erev Yom Tov, went back in, and then came out on the night of Yom Tov, but really it's counted as having been born before Yom Tov, why can't I assume that? Even in a case where I did check and didn't see an egg before Yom Tov. It says, no, Ema, we say what? Okay, Rabbi Yochanan, like Rabbi Yochanan said, Rabbi Yochanan we don't assume that. In other words, we're not going to assume that. So therefore what? The rule is that in a case where we know the egg is fertilized and we find that it wasn't there the night before, the day before and it's there during the next day, we're going to assume that it came most of the way out, went back in and dropped out later because we, are, we assume it must have been born during the day. But in a case where it was unfertilized and it could just as well have been born during the night as during the day and we find it the next morning and we know it wasn't there the previous, uh, you know, when, when night began, uh, so we assume that it, it actually was laid at night because we're not going to assume that it came most of the way out during the day, went back in and came out in the nighttime because that's not a common occurrence and we only use that explanation when we have to because we know the egg's fertilized. Now, the Gemara says, Am ben Shaul Hi, tumat shechika sakat legiluyah. Ground up um, or pounded garlic is dangerous to leave it unattended and open, exposed, because a snake might come and deposit poison in it. That's just a health concern. We said in the Mishnah that Bechamai says that the law of Seor is a kazai, it is an olive's worth, but the law of 
of chametz is bechotevet. You're not liable until there's a date's worth, an even larger amount. Now, what's the reason? Because why does the Torah have to mention both chametz and seor? Chametz being regular leaven and seor being the super leavened, like starter dough level leavened. If we only had chametz, we would know. Because we would know that since chametz is prohibited and it's prohibited in a kazayit, for that amount, so so too with seor would be a, certainly it should be that way. Seor the kadavach manalamali. So why does the Torah mention seor lo malacha? To tell you that they have different measurements. Chametz has a higher measurement because it's not as intense. Its leaven leavening level is not as intense. So it's you're only liable when you have a date's worth, not an olive worth. Beitilel says no, you need it still, even though the measurement of chametz and seor is the same. You still need the pasuk. Why? Because you would have thought that if the Torah tells you only about seor, that's because it has very powerful leavening. Right? Maybe you'll say, Maybe you'll say it's not included at all. The Torah only prohibited super leaven, like Seor. Therefore, that's why you have to mention And if the Torah only mentioned Chametz, that's because it's edible. You eat Chametz. But you don't eat Seor. Seor is something that is hyper leavened and used to start other doughs. So you would never eat it. So you might think it's not under the prohibition of Chametz. That's why the Torah has to mention it, even though according to Beit Hillel, the measurement of both is a kazait. Now it says, According to this, Beit Shammai does not hold by the teaching of Rabbi Zerah. That Rabbi Zerah said, the Torah begins in a pasuk with the word Seor and ends with the word Chametz. It says, So why does it use Seor in the beginning of the pasuk and then switch to Chametz? Why does it tell us that? To tell you that Zohar and Chametz are the same. In other words, that they have the same measurement. Both of them are B'Kazayit. So what is, what is Beit Shammai going to do? He doesn't have that Pasuk and he doesn't interpret the Pasuk that way. You're right. You're right. When it comes to eating, Beit Shammai agrees. The Pasuk shows you that Zohar and Chametz are the same because it says, Kikol Ochel in that Pasuk. It's talking about eating. So therefore, a Kazayit of leaven, if you decide to eat the Zohar or you decide to eat the Chametz, it's going to be the same. Uh, but the question is how much are you not allowed to own or how much must you destroy? According to Beit Shammai, the measurement for how much you're not allowed to own doesn't necessarily correspond. We don't learn it from the measurement of how much you're not allowed to eat. Beit Hillel says it's the same. You learn destroying or ownership from Achila. So Beit Shammai says when it comes to eating, yes, a kazayit is the measurement, but when it comes to owning so, and how much you would have to destroy, there we say you have to own a, a date's worth of chametz and only a olive's worth of uh, Seor, whereas Beit Hillel says no, both of them are kazayit. Itmar Nami was stated similarly. I'm Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Chanina. Machloket dinyan biur that this whole machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel is only about biur. It's only about how much you're not allowed to own and you must destroy. Avalinyan achila tefreyakol zevizeb kazayit. But when it comes to eating, everybody agrees that they both are prohibited at a, at the point of a kazayit. Tanyan Nami achis. Similarly, it says nabraidev lo yorah lechach seor lo yorah lechachametz. It says you may not. Ha, seor may not be visible to you, nor may chametz be visible to you. And on the side, there's a correction. It should say, v'lo chametz, v'lo seor. That's the correct order in the pasuk. Either way, this is where the machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel is. Shabbat Shammai Omrim, Seor Bekazai Bechamitz Bechichotevet, Ubeit Hillel Omrim, Zebaz Bekazai, that it's Beit Hillel says that in both cases, whether it's owner, owning 
seor uh, or owning chametz, a kazait is the measurement where you're liable and you must destroy it from get rid of it out of your property. And Beit Shammai says, no, when it comes to seor, the measurement is kazait. When it comes to chametz, the measurement is uh, a, the size of a date, a larger amount.